Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 430. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hello there, Noah. Good morning to you, sir. We have a big show today coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. I wouldn't have believed it unless I heard it from the horse's mouth directly, which I did. But apparently, the Microsoft Surface actually makes a pretty great Linux rig. Noah's got it right there. He's been running it for the last couple of weeks, and we'll tell you about his adventures of getting Linux installed on the Surface, how it runs, what may or may not work, and his overall thoughts about running Linux on a Microsoft piece of hardware. And then in the news segment, did you hear about this major quote-unquote Linux bug that was used to take over USA Today? It was a big topic at DEF CON and Black Hat. Everybody's freaking out. We're going to tell you what this big flaw is that took down USA Today and other websites how you can fix it and how it happened. We'll have a little bit of a roundup from Guadic, the GNOME conference that was going on this week. And then Red Hat's got some plans to make laptops better. I'll tell you about that. Then we've got some follow-up in the uh, mail section as well, of course, as your emails. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? I believe we have the picks. That is correct, sir. It is the picks. And uh, we've got a good selection this week. It's I'll, I'm really excited about the command line utility that uh, we're going to talk about. I've been using that a lot recently. But first, we start with the Runs Linux. This DARPA Cyber Grand Challenge at DEF CON 24 runs Linux. In fact, it runs so much damn Linux, they have to bring in external power outside the hotel. But this was a massive competition. They had to bring in a ton of gear to the hotel. And it was submitted into the show by Vivix. This looks like a great run, Linux. Check it out. It's going to run about 250 kilowatts of, of total power used. We've exceeded the, the capacity of the hotel, so now we've got to bring in industrial chillers and actually pipe water in from these chillers operating on the curb outside the casino so up through the loading ramp. Uh, we're running thousands of gallons of chilled water wow. into the ballroom. To now cool watch these for the racks. Linux here. We have thousands of feet of piping and hosing that we're putting in. So yeah, plumbing is, is a bit of a challenge. And now have it converted and, and transformed into a liquid cooled data center. Chillers so are awesome. up and running. Everything's wattertight. At the hotel, really Noah. Today. That's awesome. It's, so another it's crazy. I actually missed that. Yeah, all the servers are Linux. Great pains to create this air gap, uh, and that uh, everything that happens inside the air gap is happening autonomous. And that's another. And of course, that's something they have to work on, right? Is they they have to. Uh, I have to kind of think about that. And if you look, there's Ubuntu on some of these CDs machines. worth of burn data from inside the air gap, and then physically moving that CD across and outside the air gap and dropping it into a CD reader. That's a robot. Where it goes off to our, our scores and, and visualization. It's certain. So, they, so they, they burn the disk, and they put it through the machine, and then the robot moves the machine over uh, and, uh, and then puts it in and then for the analysis. All of these rigs here running awesome. Linux. But there's a huge reward at the end of the day. I mean, because you can look at your kids and, or your friends or your family and say, you know, that thing that you, you heard about, I was there when it started. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. Uh, so anyways, full video is in the show notes. Thank you to Vinix for uh, sending that into the show. It's a great uh, runs Linux. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was just at the, so it was, was it just last week we talked about DEF CON? 
Yeah. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to try to, I thought so, and I wanted to get it in really close to that episode since we didn't cover it in the episode. So uh, if you guys haven't seen last week's episode you know, and you want to hear about Noah's trip to DEF CON, uh, go check it out. You know what's funny, Noah? <laughs> One of the big reactions to your episode, to that episode was, I can't believe Noah was willing to use his, connect to his personal accounts at DEF CON. He totally got hacked. I- did you miss the part where not only did I not use my personal accounts, I didn't even use my personal computer? No, you know, what it was is the whole, uh, it was, there was, you made a comment later on in the episode, you're like, later on, you just, you know, used a VPN. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. right. But you I know what's funny? Phone, is, but I was still, I was, here's the thing, though. I was, one, I wasn't, at, at that point, I wasn't actually at the conference conference. I was just inside of one of the hotels. And second yeah, of all, yeah. I was on LTE data. So really, you're I'm no different yeah, I know, than I know. every other person that was. You said uh, that at the time. You said that you're on LTE. You know what I think it was kind of funny is one of the things we talked about in last week's episode was there's a little bit of hype around DEF CON and Black Hat, yeah. especially DEF CON, and some of it's about a, it's a marketing image that I, I, I don't know. I think you, and, me, I'll, I'll just I'll leave it. I'll ask this question. I'll leave it at this. Do you really think that 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 Bali's and and uh, and uh, you know and Paris are going to let all of their patrons that are in their casinos be subject? To to hacking, if that was actually a concern, <laughs> I don't. Doesn't sound I like just, that'd I mean, make a lot of there money. Were, there were thousands of people at that hotel that weren't there for DefCon, and and if there was a problem, they probably would. <laughs> and, the, and the chat room says, and you still don't think you are hacked. You're never going to convince them. You're never going to well, convince them. Well, dude. you know what? Here's the thing. I reinstalled when I got home. So. Did you? You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, just in case. Just thinking. I don't know. It'd be good. It'd be interesting. I didn't uh, reset my phone, but I don't really care if they got it, into my phone. It, the thing phone. is, is if you're gonna go down there, I would go down there and be a honeypot. Like collect, get get hacked a whole bunch. That'd make a hell of a good podcast right there. I got hacked at DefCon. Now that's a title. But that's I not weird. That. I, I should go and log into like FTP servers and stuff next year and just see how many people can get my passwords and then make them like super funny. So uh, the DefCon connection is the laptop that Noah's re- is it fair to call it a laptop? The the piece of hardware that Noah's reviewing yeah. today. Tablet. Tablet. I'm calling it a tablet. Yeah, he got that tablet for DEFCON. So that's why he's in possession of He wanted a burner machine for DEFCON. So it's all, you see how it's all tied together, chat room? It's all tight. You see, we're just playing with you. Uh, but before we move on, and actually, back to the DEFCON thing, let's talk about DigitalOcean. Remember, you used a DigitalOcean droplet to create your own VPN did. server. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code, here's the thing. All one word, like you're slurring it, here's the thing. will give you a $10 credit at DigitalOcean, a quick way to spin up a great rig on their Linux infrastructure powered by KVM with SSDs for all the drives, tier one connections at their data center, 40 gigabit E connectors right into the hypervisors, and you can build a system on demand. Scale it up starting at $5 a month. And if you go over to their pricing page, check that out check out their pricing page. It's seriously straightforward pricing. If you bop, bop it, bop it over to hourly. I think like SATCOM 2, which is uh, the droplet we use only while we're live and streaming, I think that, if I recall, is the uh, two gigabyte machine with two core processor and 40 gigabyte SSD and three terabytes of transfer. And we're paying like three cents an hour. It's, it's an unbelievable system. It really is cool. DigitalOcean.com, here's the thing. Use that all one word to get a $10 credit. You apply it to your account. Then you can really stretch that out. They have new block storage, too, which is something a lot of us have been waiting for. Highly available block storage, all SSD-based. It's so nice. And if you load a system on there and you, uh, I don't know, want to use something like ZFS, as Mr. Alan Jude says, you could easily manage additional new block storage and incorporate it into your ZFS setup. Free NAS in the cloud, everybody. It could happen. 
just like Noah's been wanting. Here's the things the promo code. Check it out at DigitalOcean.com. Enjoy their intuitive control panel, their awesome API, and more. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Action Show. Just use that promo code. Here's the thing. Check out that documentation. Oh, yeah, Noah. Check out that documentation. I was uh, I was actually just reading their Yacy How To again, re- reviewing it. You know the online the peer to peer search engine. They have documentation yep. up there that you basically it's a little it's like from 2014, still usable, still good stuff. It's pretty nice, pretty nice. I want to tell you about an app pick that I think you're gonna love. You specifically, Noah, and everybody else okay. out there that ever needs to troubleshoot. So we're all familiar with Ping, and what it does. It's pretty simple. How about we spice it up a little bit with HTTP ping? Oh, get it? Do you see what it does here? Is it connects to an HTTP server, okay. sends uh-huh. and, and receives only the first like reply, only the headers, and then tells you the latency of it. Uh, it's super nice. And instead of me sitting here trying to explain it to you, I'll just do a demo. Now, I've been using this recently to troubleshoot Comcast. Did you see, no, see how my connection is? And then uh-huh. later on, I started using it to troubleshoot uh, VPN stuff back up at Lady Jupes. So this has mm-hmm. been a really, really valuable tool. Plus, they have a really crappy, out-of-date Android version that still works just fine that you can install. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. So it's HTTPing, HTTPing. And uh, I'll, I'll do like altaspeed.com. So I'm going to see yeah. how long it takes to get to, is it www.altaspeed or is yeah. it www.altaspeed.com? I think the root domain is actually not the website. All right, so it looks like I'm getting about, after my first connection, the first one was 344 milliseconds, but after that, Noah, you got great response time. So remind you, this is more than just a ping, right? This isn't just the TCP reply or ICMP reply. This is actually establishing a connection to your HTTP server. Your web server responded and gave me back the headers within 145-ish milliseconds. And um, Let me ask you something. How does this so, so? How does this uh, how does this differ from my troubleshooting mechanism? Whereas I open a web browser, I go to Google.com, that doesn't work. I go to a terminal, I type ping.google.com or ping space google.com, that doesn't work. I type ping space eight dot eight dot eight dot eight, that doesn't work, and then I realize that I have a network issue, so, or I find an issue somewhere between there. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it's been particularly useful for me just this week. Okay. Uh, we uh, for Jupiter Broadcasting, you know. Every now and then we we just sort of sit down and go, hey, it'd be a really good idea to address some of our SEO issues that are always plaguing us. And we do a big batch of them at a time. And we've 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 done all the low hanging fruit ones now for our site. Mm-hmm. And now we're like getting down to the stuff where you have to use the webmaster tools and developer tools to actually measure individual component load times and because you can't even perceive it looking at it. And yeah. uh, we're fine-tuning everything. And, well, you know, in fact, I could just show you. So here's an example, uh, if you're just kind of curious. So let's see what what happens if I go to altaspeed.com and not put the WW in there. Okay. Should ma- I think the root domain maps to the web server anyway. And it doesn't look like it's connecting at all now. Maybe not. Maybe uh, there we go. Not so bad. So watch what happens at jupiterbroadcasting.com. So I'll put, uh, so you basically have the same response time. Jupiterbroadcasting.com, however, without the WW, 654, 923, 522, 505, 542. Now I'll add the WW in front of it. Goes to 166, 170. 157. You, I mean, can't, isn't that, excuse my ignorance, but couldn't you just go into your DNS and map your, 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 uh, your root domain to your web server? 
Yeah, exactly. But this was something I was using to do. Oh, this is we were going through seeing what we could tweak in WordPress and whatnot to to improve yeah. load times. And this tool helped us identify that this hadn't been set up yet. That we're using gotcha. an actual forward, a permanent redirect right now at the yeah. moment, which yeah. we'll, which we will change. Using this tool, though, I was able to see there is. Not something I could measure perceptively when I'm watching the site load, but when I ping it with this tool, I can see a huge load time difference. Um, sure. And then additionally, as we started uh, reducing the amount of plugins, improving the way the site loads, I, I watched these numbers drop from about 280 now to 140. Uh, wow. So I'm able to use. I was able to use this as I made tweaks to. to it's one metric. It's definitely not the only metric you can use, and it doesn't sure. tell you a lot, but it does tell you one, a couple of nice things. So it. Uh -huh. So if you know you have an internet connection, and you know your connection's good, and you want to start, you want to see just what the time is between you and the first time you start getting that web page. HTTP uh -huh. does that for you. Uh, and the nice part is, is on Android, it's even more relevant, really, because there you, where you're on mobile. It's, it's a super nice extra uh, sanity check when you're trying to troubleshoot connectivity issues. Yeah. And, of course, it is open source, and it's up on, uh, on the GitHub. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Brand new site, I guess. Somebody put some code up there. I think it's a lot like SourceForge. You know, you, know, I, you know I have code on GitHub now? No, you're a coder now, huh? I am. Yeah, I'm a programmer. Really? I wrote FizzBuzz last week. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Mike will be proud. That's yeah. good. Uh, all right. So we got a spotlight that's rough in terms of the definition. It is open source. It takes advantage of pretty cool open source technology on the back end, and it likely runs on top of Linux, but it's a website. And uh, it's called AllTube Download. Now, AllTube Download is a graphical web front end or YouTube DL. Yeah, yeah, I know. Big surprise, big shock. But since I just did a super uh, command line heavy uh, app pick, I thought our spotlight should be more graphical friendly. So YouTube DL is the downloader. And it doesn't download just YouTube. About, I don't know, a thousand other sites. It's amazing. It even is, it's even useful in combination with other utilities. It, it's truly a remarkable, remarkable uh, downloader. I'll give you an example. Say you saw something on the BBC's website. You can use YouTube DL to download something from the BBC or, I don't know, no, name a porn site. Uh, Porn.com. You porn. You know, sure. something like that. RedTube. Uh, it, it'll download from RedTube. Uh, you know, any, I don't know. You, you, there's a lot of porn sites. I, those are the ones I names I know of. I don't know. Them, but I'll tell you what. It's very handy if you want to save a video. But perhaps you don't want to necessarily save porn. I understand. I understand. What you really want to do is you want to grab the latest version of Linux Action Show episode 429, and you want to be able to just pull it down from YouTube super quick. Now, why would you want to do that? Well, I've actually heard from several people that they get blocked by our they they block like because we're in the podcast category we get blocked by like a filter or they get like special deals on YouTube uh, bandwidth like it gets doesn't get counted against their total so uh, oops let me go back to my web so I've grabbed the YouTube feed for the latest episode of the Linux Action Show and what's really nice about this web interface AllTube download is when you put the video in there it'll show you all of the versions that are available on YouTube for you to get, including the best. It'll automatically say this is the best encoded, just straight up. If you want the highest quality version, you can grab it. But also, if you are a masochist, it has like all these different resolutions of WebM, from 640 to 360, all the way up to HD, and of course, every format in between, including audio only. But the other really nice thing is because it's using <laughs> Google's bandwidth, it downloads at uh, super fast speeds. So mm -hmm. there we go. And now the next set, the video has already started in playing and streaming in my browser. Pulling the, the MP4 file from YouTube 
into your browser locally, or you could save it on your desktop. And it's pretty much any website that's moderately popular that has a video, this site will download the video for. So, and you, the other nice thing is, and I, you might want to consider doing this, is you can fork this thing and run it on your own droplet or your own server, which Ooh. is something you might want to consider because it'll probably get shut down soon. So that's why I want to kind of give it special attention while it's why, still alive. Why, why do you think it'll get shut down soon? Just because it's pulling uh, videos off the internet? In yeah, like Google hates that, and they've shut down. They shut down a ton of stuff. They don't shut everything down, so they might not. But the whole, uh, so the whole thing about the YouTube downloads is I think it's technically against the user terms of service because the only legitimate way to download a video on YouTube is to be a YouTube Red subscriber and use the YouTube app uh, to do offline downloads. There's no legitimate way to download YouTube that doesn't violate the terms of service as far as I know. Now, uh, I pulled a ton of clips off of YouTube for our shows, especially for Unfilter, and I've never had a problem with it, ever. And then And the YouTube DL command line client is perfect. You don't need a web page, but it's nice sometimes to have a GUI. If you have not checked out YouTube DL, I would highly recommend that. It's a very, very good app. So it's sort of like a mini pick, which is the command line only version of it, which I know you know about. Right? You know about YouTube DL, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Okay, yes. good. Okay, good. I, because I was, I, you, you lost me. I, I, was, I thought there was another pick or something coming up, and I'm like, no, yeah, I don't. No, I just want yeah, to. Okay, yeah, good. I use, in yeah. fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, I use YouTube DL to get all of my online, all that online streaming content that you stream online. Oh, yeah, online. we've talked about that. Yeah. 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 I download all that stuff, put it on my file server, watch it locally. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's definitely an option if you want to blow a bunch of space. Uh, YouTube DL is great for also, like, grabbing news clips that sometimes get pulled down and... Uh, and things like that. Hey, if you've got an application or a, a community project or a open source whatever that's just super cool, you know what would be great is to do like some an open source piece of hardware in a spotlight. Something we can really yeah. dig into. Please submit it to the subreddit linuxactionshow.reddit.com uh, because not only do we get our uh, our like some of our some of our favorite runs Linux from there, which we just had in this uh, top of the show, but uh, some of the best open source projects we, uh, surface in there. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com with over ten thousand subscribers. Uh, there's probably a lot of people that will see it too. So check that out. It's a great way to get content into the show. All right, that's all the picks. Let's do the news. The news of this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Once you go to last.ting.com, please, and support this show and get yourself a $25 credit at Ting if you bring a device and $25 off a device if you don't. Last.ting.com. Ting is on a mission to make mobile make sense because they only charge for what you use. They start with $6 for the line. You pay $6 and then you put your phone on that line. CDMA or GSM. And then Uncle Sam takes a little cut like he seems to do from everything. And then you just pay for what you use. You go to last.ting.com to start. They got a savings calculator. I call this the Ting litmus test. You pass this, you will want to switch to Ting. I've saved over $2,000 in more than two years I've been, I've been on Ting. I don't know about Noah, because homeboy over there has got like a dozen phones, but you would not have a dozen phones on any other carrier like that. I mean, it's just not no, possible at that. At that. You couldn't afford to. No. no, it's pretty nice. They have unlocked devices. They have customer service that actually speaks to you. You get to talk to a human being and they stay on the line with you. It's really a great service. You could bring your own device. You can buy a device directly. But the big news is Ting got uh, a little bit of a price drop and everybody gets it. New customers, old existing customers like me, everybody. Data is now cheaper on Ting. From now on, prices look like this. 
Need more? It's just $10 a gig. That's what new customers pay. That's what current customers pay. All right. It's simple. Okay. You like simple. I do. See for yourself at ting.com. Last.ting.com. Last.ting.com, actually. Come on, Claire, you know that. Last.ting.com is where you go, and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. All right, so we've got to cover this first story that uh, is grabbing everybody's attention. And when ours did this, I was just, I don't know. It seems a little overdone. Linux bug leaves USA Today. Other top sites vulnerable to serious hijacking attacks. Off-path attack means hackers can be anywhere with no man in the middle needed. And uh, this is true. This was, a re- this was research that was done and then demonstrated uh, recently at the 25th Unix Security Symposium on Wednesday. Researchers with the University of California at uh, Riverside and the U.S. Army Research Laboratory demonstrated a proof-of-concept exploit that allows them to inject content into otherwise legitimate USA Today pages and then ask the viewers to enter their email address. Then the malicious site sends off some JavaScript code, which could possibly be an attack payload. Even uh, if you're, like, using HTTPS and uh, have, like, some other protection method, the attackers could still just kill your session. They could still, like, all right, well, we can't hack you, but we can, uh, we can uh, interrupt your session. And it does actually appear to be a bug in Linux, sort of, kind of, that's enabling this. And it's because Linux is so damn good that this is a problem. It really is. So what, what, what the problem is, is really it's an issue with RFC 5961. Now, you remember that one, of course, no RFC oh, uh, absolutely. 5961. Yeah. That's my favorite RFC, yeah. actually. And, and, of course, as you recall, uh, Linux uh, integrated RFC 5961 in 2012 in Linux kernel 3.6. Yeah. So, so this flaw... I remember it clearly. Yeah, yeah. goes back to kernel 3.6. I'll tell you more about what the RFC does here in a moment. But the reason why it's kind of Linux only is because Apple and Microsoft haven't gotten off their asses to implement the RFC. Um, they just drag their, they drug it around, because I guess it wasn't sexy and flashy. Um, but Linux did, uh, back in 3.6, and uh, essentially implemented the complete functionality. And the maintainers released a fix with version 4.7, but not many of you guys that run those forks of Linux, like Ubuntu and Debian and Fedora, uh, you don't really get them that quickly. So you'll have to make sure your distro is backporting it. So the researcher said the vulnerability is the result of changes in the way that the TCP connections are established. When carrying out a so-called three-way handshake now, this is part of the new RFC, the first two parties send SINs, you know, like a, a short uh, synchronous packet. Uh, then the receiving party responds with a SIN ACK, a synchronized acknowledgement packet. The connection is established when the first party sends the ACK packet. Now, you see what they can do is because... They don't. They just have to know the IP address of each side of the conversation, and they don't actually have to be in the middle anymore to take advantage of this three-way handshake. So they can inject malicious um, JavaScript. They say they may also be able to, the researchers did have a demo of this, show how they could take advantage of a weak, unpatched SSH connection and tamper with those connections, even tamper with connections over th- uh, Tor. I was going to say mm-hmm. Tor. Um, and cause people, like, and cause uh, uh, nodes to be extremely busy and then sort of force where people end up on Tor. It's, they've had it, so they've had, they've had some proof of concept with breaking SSH connections and the Tor network. But the main thing they can do right now, and they were able to demonstrate in real time at the conference, was taking over the USA Today website and then replacing it with their own website by using this three-way handshake. So they get in the middle of the three-way. They just sort of get right there in the middle, Noah, make a sandwich mm-hmm. out of it. And uh, instead of having bread and bread, you now got the meat, which is the attacker... <laughs> Now it's a problem. 
And the patch is in 4.7. So I'm sure you probably patch it all, right? Yeah, all the time, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I just use stable distros that, you know, the kernel would be, you know, prior to when all this nonsense was implemented. Are you seriously, are you, are you serious? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) Right, all right. That's that's even a stretch for me. All right, because I was going to, yeah, 2012, dude. Okay, 2012. Um, That's a little too stable for me. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, this is why probably just about every major production deployment may be suffering from this bug. So it's kind of a big deal. That's why uh, Alan decided to break it down on uh, TechSnap, which will be coming out on Thursday. And because really it affects servers quite a bit, not so much us on the desktop side. However, it could. If somebody was going to target you and knew your IP address and knew the IP address of who you're talking to, that's the piece of information they have to have. So that's why they can't just do It's not just a drive-by thing. That has to be a fairly targeted thing. But when they worked in conjunction with USA Today, of course, they were able to target that. This is also something that's breaking this week that I think will probably develop into more, uh, it probably, who knows, the, the legal system can be very slow, but in time. The Linux kernel developer, Christopher Hilwig, has lost his case against VMware. Now, you recall we were discussing this a while back. It was part of the Software mm-hmm. Conservancy. It was, they were suing VMware over GPL violations. The verdict was issued on August 7th, and uh, this, this guy... Uh, Andrew, or no, Christoph, I'm sorry, Christoph, uh, is the maintainer of the iSCSI subsystem for the Linux kernel. And he said he's going to appeal over this. He says, I'm disappointed the court didn't even consider the actual case of reusing the Linux code when written by me. And I hope the court of appeal will investigate the central aspect of the lawsuit. The case claimed that VMware had been using his code from 2007 and not releasing the source code as required by the license, the Linux kernel, which, as you know, is GPL2. And uh, the... The problem here is I don't think they actually really uh, – the judge said something to the effect of it wasn't obvious that it was his code to begin with, so it didn't require the disclosure and, and, didn't, and didn't evaluate it from the licensing standpoint, but apparently evaluated it from how attribution was handled or, or something like that. So it definitely deserves an appeal. I think it's a surprising blow to the software conservancy perhaps who likely started this to establish precedence around the GPL and yeah. – temporarily has probably done the opposite of what their goal was, um, which I'm like, like he said in that statement, he's going to appeal. Pretty interesting. Um, they, the, him and the conservancy have claimed that VMware had combined the copyright Linux code with their own, that you know, the code that was licensed with the GPL2. Uh, they have, they, they claim they took that G, that Linux code and they combined it with their VM kernel and distributed the entire combined work without providing the complete corresponding source code. As someone who's worked on ESXi servers, um, I know they use BusyBox, and I know they use the Linux kernel. It's when you use when you sit down at a console, it's obvious. So I, this could be legit, and we'll keep following it. Something else uh, to just sort of keep following at this point, because some of the videos are still getting posted. Is Guadic just wrapped up? Guadic 2016 is the main conference for GNOME users, developers, and foundation leaders, individuals, and governments, and businesses worldwide. And uh, they are posting some of their videos up right now, like privacy and security just went up a little bit ago, customizing the GNOME environment for government, modular UIs for offline content, integration of Qt applications, and man, a whole bunch more. Like documentation, getting community involved, working with music, live coding, um, really kind of the GNOME Foundation's annual talk, Shotwell and why, lots of good stuff. So you can check it all out. We have a link to the videos directly in the show notes. Way more than we could cover right now. So moving right along, I want to hear your thoughts about this, Noah. Okay. Red Hat is hiring to improve Fedora 
on laptops, specifically mobile workstation laptops. They say, we're looking for people not afraid to jump into different code, who likes tinkering with new hardware. The hardware establishment, or I'm sorry, the hardware enablement here might include some kernel level work, but more likely will be improving higher level stacks. So for an example, uh, a new laptop comes in and Bluetooth doesn't work. You need to investigate and figure out if the problem is in the kernel, if it's in the Blue Z stack, or if it's maybe in some of the Bluetooth desktop parts. You do some digging around, you connect the dots. Uh, you can find out more at jobs.redhat.com if you think that might be for you. It's, they say it's going to be varied work, expect to be part of a team, which will be looking at anything from driver bugs, battery life issues, implementing entirely new stacks, biometric logins, and enabling existing features in the Linux kernel and in low-level libraries up into the user interface, which <laughs> that sounds good to me. Is this too good to be true, Noah? I, I think, so, I, they're, 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 I have two immediate reactions. The first reaction is that's great. I think it's awesome that you have such a hardcore player in the community that is that is coming forward and saying, you know what, we recognize that Linux on the desktop is in fact not dead and that there are people that are using these distributions on desktops and laptops. And so it's important that we make sure that the hardware works correctly. I think that's great and it, Canonical should take a lesson and maybe my wife I would work. But the other the, the other reaction I have is I feel like I continually get mixed signals from Red Hat. Because, oh man, yeah. Well, because uh, today it's there's there's this huge focus on the desktop, and it's it's it seems like if they're working on workstation type laptops, then they're they're mm. they're designing this for business and for production use, right? And at the same time, I still, as of our last Fedora review, don't get the impression that Fedora is really cut out and really structured to be put inside of the enterprise and inside of a so production environment. Their exact it's, phrasing is uh, desktop hardware with a focus on laptops. Okay. Um, you interpret that to be however you want it to be interpreted. I, I kind of agree. Mixed messaging. And um, it seems really weird that this is how you get back into the desktop. No. And, well, why do you say that? Um, I guess it seems, like, it seems like the model that's worked really well mm -hmm. over the years is the one where you, uh, you start by working on a specific target. And you make that target really good. Like, look how uh, Google targets the Nexus devices, or Valve targets Steam OS, okay, okay. and Steam so what boxes. Would you, what would you propose they target, though? Uh, you know, I would. What I would. What I would do is I would partner with an OEM, and I would do. I would start with making everything on that device work. So this is like the like like yeah. a System seventy six or a Dell Sputnik edition. That's that's yeah. the Fedora edition. That you work out the Bluetooth issues, you work out the yeah. high DPI issues, you work out the Iris graphics issues, Skylake with Skylake. You work out all that stuff on on, on, yeah. on that piece of hardware because when you do the scattershot approach, we never seem to get there. Like we never nail. Well, like so, here's here's the problem though. The the I I, I get where you're coming from and I. I guess I agree with you in principle, but the problem is that you're tying yourself at the hip to a manufacturer, and you don't well. And those manufacturers, those manufacturers are making all of their, you know, whatever HCI, APCI, whatever the thing is, tables for Windows, and so all of the hardware is being structured around Windows. And so, See, if, I, let's just let if they're going to pick a OEM, they probably pick Lenovo, right? Because that's what okay. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So, so they partner with Lenovo, and so they take the the T, whatever the latest yeah. T series, yep. which is the most popular ThinkPad, and they they take it and they they make everything work on it. Well, now the next generation comes out. It's unlikely that Lenovo is going to make any decisions whatsoever for the benefit 
of Linux, and then Red Hat has to always be responding. So the advantage of the shotgun approach is you take I people that already no. have computers and make their existing computers or Fedora fit those existing computers. No, okay. Right? So here's here's so here's the lens in which I look at this, and I agree with Nelsk in the chat room. It is this is part of an overall outreach strategy to developers. You want to make laptops easier to run Fedora because that's what developers Mm -hmm. are theoretically buying because they want, to, they want to develop on the same stack that they're hosting on. So they want to run exactly. Fedora on the laptop because they're going to run Fedora in the cloud, right? That's, that's what the okay. Sputnik program with Dell is about, with, uh, with Ubuntu. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. In that arrangement, Lenovo, uh, uh, let's just stick with the Dell for a second. In the arrangement okay. with Dell, Dell and Canonical have an ongoing multi-year arrangement. So uh -huh. there is, there is, oh, there is an on, it's not a one-shot thing. There's an ongoing Machine as long as the as long as the sales continue, Lenovo mm -hmm. could do something very similar. They could say, "All right, this will be like a, here's a five year deal. We're going to produce two of these machines and see how they do. Um, so you know you'll get two iterations on this." And mm -hmm. and Red Hat works with them for those two iterations. Really nails that machine really good. So if you want a great Fedora mm -hmm. experience, get this Lenovo whatever it is, and it'll work great okay. with Fedora out of the box. And by the way, because they got this working with the kernel, and they got that Bluetooth thing working, and they got that wireless, all these yeah. other models of laptops have improved too. But just, uh, just uh, yeah, but that. look that's at true. and and it's not that they don't move on from Lenovo and start improving yeah. other things, but you really have to start focus somewhere. Otherwise, gotcha. you start with a million priorities, and you need three priorities. And you need to make those three things work really well. And the only okay. way to do that is develop in tandem with another piece of hardware, I would think. And okay, last but I not least, one last point I, I guess I would make is if you look at the overall like market right now, there is sort of a growing demand for that developer workstation. So it's not necessarily like a a loser's market to get into right now. Dell seems to be having some success. System 76 right. is, so is Entroware. So it seems like there is more support for that in particular market than there ever has been right now. So it would uh -huh. also just be smart from that perspective. Look at Bumblebee. Is it, you know, the, the video graphic switching, um, which I've avoided like the plague. I've never wanted to get the Intel NVIDIA handoff uh, under Linux. I've just never wanted that, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on all the details. But imagine a scenario, Noah, mm -hmm. where a company like Red Hat hired somebody and said, mm -hmm. that laptop right there with the Bumblebee graphic switching, mm -hmm. work on that until it's fine, until it's working and fixed. And they had done that three years ago. We would not yeah. have spent the last three or four years with absolute shit support for that. It's only gotten good yeah. semi-recently. Yeah. And if you have one developer who can make phone calls to hardware vendors, who can get contracts signed, and who can develop code, and they sit there and they work on that thing, we probably would have been way better off with that a long time ago. But with the scattershot where we try to support everything, we just never managed to live up to that. I can, I can, I, I, I guess you, you've convinced me. And, and the other thing that comes to mind is you also give people that are looking for an entrance into Linux or are looking like Michael Dominic would be a great example, right? Sure, yeah. He doesn't care. He doesn't have any allegiance to any particular hardware vendor and really doesn't have a whole lot of software allegiance. He just was getting sick of his current solution. So where does he start? And if you have something and you say, go to this name that you've heard of and buy this computer that you're, that you know makes a good product that is guaranteed to have support, then that solves it for that solves that problem in that particular scenario. And I mean he wound up with system 76 and it worked great and he plus had think about it from like think about it from the perspective of um the guy that gets hired or the girl that gets hired. Uh mm -hmm. they have to they have to meet goals and expectations and deliverables. And if you're just trying to fix all the PCs in the world, whoo 
That gal's yeah. going to be up working late. Yeah, so I, yeah. uh, before we move on, <clears throat> I want to follow up uh, just so I'm clear about the uh, uh, the GPL lawsuit getting dropped. Mm-hmm. This is not done. I wasn't saying the conservancy was lost because uh, the chat room thought maybe I was saying that. Uh, the judge didn't even really consider the validity of the GPL. So this is not done yet. That's going to be coming back. So, And uh, if we need to get into it more, if you guys are curious, leave us a comment. It seems like when we get into that stuff, you guys gloss over, so I wanted to keep it short. But, yeah, it, it, it will continue on. And when we get some serious final information, we can report on it or we can keep you updated as it goes along. Just leave a comment wherever you're watching this and let us know. Speaking of comments, <laughs> I... I, I literally, I literally was speechless when I found out about this tweet. I just, I had to send it to you. I had to post it to the Linux Action Show subreddit. I, I, I just, I had to retweet. I couldn't believe it. From the official ButterFS Twitter account. <clears throat> Be aware of ButterFS RAID 5 and 6 serious data loss bugs. And then it links to the wiki. Consider using ZFS on Linux before the bugs are fixed. I think it means until the bugs are fixed. The official ButterFS file system Twitter account recommending you use ZFS until they get their crap fixed. Well, I guess that solves that argument then. Yeah, what's what's <laughs> funny is, uh, yeah, boy, isn't that isn't that sort of like, boy, how do you, how are you going to argue that? Although people are, uh, and I got to tell you, it's it's really something to watch. Everybody come out of the woodwork, and uh, this tweet really this this next one. Uh, ButterFS RAID 5 apologists be like, it's all fine, nothing to see here, this is fine, don't worry. In fact, the number one response I've gotten is, oh, well, you should never have been using it in the first place. You should never have used So they're From the same people that were telling you you should be using it? Yeah, and I find it interesting, too, because why isn't then the solution, why isn't feature sets and feature flags the solution to this problem? So if, you're, if you have a file system that doesn't have a feature ready yet, you don't turn it on by default. You don't use it. You don't even make it available, and you make it a build time option to enable it at build time. Mm-hmm. That seems like if it's if it's truly something that everybody knew. And then the other response is, well, you really you should just use insert name of completely other technology that sits at top at a different level of the entire file system that rides on top of it. Really, you should be using and then you know whatever the whatever it is. There's lots of great projects out there, and yeah. I I feel like we're we're just totally ignoring the fact that the open source darling file system, the GPL darling file system, is a total catastrophe and a joke. And mm-hmm. our inability to admit it and just sort of like carry on, everything's fine here, is not self-serving at all. It does not enable us to identify what we did wrong and then make corrections in the future so we don't repeat these horrible mistakes that make us look like amateurs. So to me... <clears throat> Talking about what a failure ButterFS is encourages us never to do this again. But what we instead seem, seem to be having is people are just burying their heads even further into the sand and going like, well, this is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with this. And in fact, if you knew what you were doing, you wouldn't have ever used ButterFS like this to begin with. Um, it's, just, it's shocking to me because it's so, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, Noah? Like it's, like it's, the, it's, like, when you, it's like when you screw up with a client really bad. And instead of discussing it with the employee or discussing it, whatever you need to do to like address what went wrong, everybody's like, yeah, that was great, man. Good job. Or it's like if we bombed an episode and we just had like a horrible episode and then you and I were just like, great, good show. Good show. Thanks, man. Good show. And like we didn't talk about, wow, that really sucked. What did we do wrong? Like mm-hmm. at the end of that last segment, it was a shitty transition. I did a bad transition at the end of the last segment. You're like, man, that wasn't a very good transition. Like, yeah, you're right. I should have done better. Like if we don't have those conversations, 
Yeah. This product doesn't get better. Right? Am I wrong? Or what, what am no, I missing? you're 100 percent. The fact, I mean, the fact that that happened earlier in the episode is, is kind of funny. But the, um, <laughs> you know, but the, the, you know, I look at it the same way that I look at road construction. Right? In, in Grand Forks, anyway, when you're driving by, you'll hit a bump, and there's a bump in the road, and eventually, like the road starts to cave in, and so like it's a big bump, and then eventually, it's like, oh god, and like the whole like, <laughs> car like you know like goes, and, and then they it's, fix it's it. Worse and worse and worse, and you you know it's not going to get fixed. I know it's not going to get fixed. <laughs> and my first sign that it's going to get fixed is when they put a sign up that says bump they put a little <laughs> yellow sign. probably cost them like 200 dollars, and they put the sign up. like now but you now know it's on somebody's it's on somebody's spreadsheet road. somewhere and so we can move on to actually fixing the road at some point yeah. and then within a year or so then they actually come and fix it yeah but every bump that i hit like if it's really bad and i don't see the little sign that means that we as a city have not acknowledged that there's a problem in the road and we need to fix the problem that's like the first step is saying that there is in fact a problem and until we do that there's nobody is thinking about solutions we're all you know we all just perpetuate the cycle of uh, everything's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You know, and I hit it, my head on the top of the car, but it's okay. In the meantime, I guess we could make lemon out of these, or we could make lemonade out of these lemons, and we could try to figure out like best ZFS alternatives for Linux, and we could come up with why? the. Uh, I, that that's I'm, I'm sorry, but why? Why why do we have to find a better? Because ZFS there seems to be Linux? this uh, culture out there of, I don't know. I can't quite describe it. I can't quite wrap my head I'm around it. Here. Is that what it is? Because I don't understand why we don't just start trying to implement ZFS and make that better on Linux. What, why, why do we have to have something else? Well, there's that licensing issue that some people are still worried about. I, and I don't know if it's totally resolved either. I'd like to see a few lawsuits, and <laughs> then I'd feel better if those, if those lawsuits happened and then uh, things stood up in court. Then I would, I, not that I want to see Canonical have to waste money on lawsuits, but it would be nice to see somebody get legally challenged for shipping it um, and then see what happens. Although... We've also been told for how many years, 10, that shipping MP3 codecs with your distribution will get you sued? And how many distributions have gotten sued over shipping MP3 codecs or libdvd, CSS, or whatever it is? How many? I think I know of two that may have gotten legal threats, um, but I don't know of any that ever had any serious consequence. In fact, we know of directly of distributions that have gotten the smackdown for branding issues. That seems to be what people go after, is when you copy brand... In fact, entire distros being shut completely down yeah. over branding issues. Yeah, and trademark disputes and stuff like that. But this kind of stuff, I think the most you see about it is when it goes to such a scale that it's millions and millions and tens of millions of devices, and then you hear about patent agreements coming up between multinational corporations with billions of dollars in the bank. And then Microsoft is all of a sudden getting royalties on something that a camera maker shipped with their camera to support extended fat. Like, you hear about that stuff. But you don't hear about, you don't hear about the fact that Ubuntu, for how long, has had a checkbox that allows you to install proprietary, licensed, patented, encumbered codecs into their distribution, and it hasn't yet gotten them hauled into court, and they have how many tens of millions of users? Yeah. So you might be right. Maybe it's time we just stop worrying about it and start using it. When it, when it becomes a, let's cross that bridge when it comes to it, but the fact that, the, the, I just want to recap, I want to put into English what you're saying. In, instead of let let's instead of worrying about a, a a license problem, if and when we come to that bridge, we'll cross it. Instead mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. let's reinvent a file system that has been <laughs> being worked on for you know how many years that has how many years of success and how many how, how many clear track records of, of people using it at scale, and we're going to trade all of that because of a lawsuit that may or may not happen for a license that may or may not can. I, I'm just, I'm not seeing it. Mm -hmm. 
And I think something else, and then we can move on. One other thing to look at when it comes to developing something like a super modern file system is, A, it's going to be interesting to see what Apple does with their APFS thing that they're working on, which is very similar to ButterFS. But Apple has something that Sun also had. And that's maybe what gave, gave ZFS part of its initial advantage. They have a QA department. And literally before they ever released ZFS, they had like a thousand QA testers test the hell out of it and just run it into the ground for a long time as they were actively developing it. And so it went through a rigorous internal QA process at Sun Microsystems before the code was ever thrown over the wall. Better or for worse, I think it seems to be for better. Having professional QA developers bang on something for a long time when it comes to a file system might make the difference. And yeah. ButterFS is being completely developed out in the open. We get to see all warts, all discussions, all absolute public failures. And we, we, also, we also have a culture of early adoption in Linux. I mean, look at the RFC that I just talked about at the top of the show that is the three-way handshake uh, middle, man in the middle uh, sandwich. We jump on that right away. Um, and then there's distributions like OpenSUSE that have been shipping ButterFS for default for years now. Mm. And you have to look at that and go, is that promoting more eyes on the code, more testers, so all ships rise, quality goes up? Is that promoting like more exposure and making a better product, perhaps? Or is it reinforcing a culture of promoting something that isn't actually competitive and production ready? I think it's also that. So it's a really fine line we have to walk because both things are necessary. You need to have people testing, and you need to have somebody at some point say, now is the time to try using this in production and draw a line. And I think sometimes we nail it, and I think sometimes, like with that RFC and with ButterFS, I think we missed the mark a little bit, and I, that's just my take on it. I, I could be totally wrong. I mean, I was, I was the guy deploying RiserFS back in the day when I had SUSE Enterprise Server, so what do I know? I was a RiserFS user. I still would be, too, if he hadn't killed his wife. But, yeah. <laughs> I think it's something I'm going to toy with some more, too. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, I'm trying out different uh, network storage solutions. And uh, I think I'm going to be using ZFS for all of them. I'm going to set up, like, three of them for testing. And uh, I think each one of them. I'm going to see this is just now at this point in time when building a file store with several terabytes of storage or more. It seems like CFS is just kind of the way to go, especially if I want to grow it later on and I want to prevent bit rot. It just seems to be sort of the best solution. And now with 16.04 having support for it, that really kind of opens up the doors on how I can deploy that. So, I don't know. We'll see. I'll give you a report back. Yeah. I'll try it out for a while. We have it here running in the studio, too. So I guess we have been running ZFS in production for a little bit. But I'll try it out with data storage attached to Linux. I'll report back with my findings in a little while. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. Maybe if he hadn't got it for free, he wouldn't have tried it. But you know Noah, once he gets a piece of hardware, he's got to put Linux on it. And I think, I think the results even surprised him. And I've got something special for you. Noah from the past has just joined us through a temporal distortion to tell us all about his experience with Microsoft's Surface Notebook thing, like the Surface One. And it turns out um, it's actually pretty doable. 
Buckle up, because if you're like me, this is going to shake your foundation. But first, I want to shake your mind up at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to support the show and support your mind. You go there, you learn more about the Linux Academy platform, a platform designed to teach you about Linux to help you get in and focus on what you need, either the stack around Linux, like, uh, like well, the whole DevOps category, or OpenStack, or AWS, or specific fundamentals that you want to deep dive into. If you're getting ready for certifications, if you want to go in there and do hands-on experience, they've got all of that. You just choose your labs, they spin them up, you SSH into them, instructor mentoring's available when you need them, they have a great community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members, learning plans to let you pick a course and set a time frame to fit your schedule, practice exams to get you ready, nuggets to do deep dives, study tools and comprehensive study guides you can bring or audio you can bring with you. The self-paced courses are real winners. The note cards are fascinating because like any true geeky system, you can fork them and make them and build them even better. And they have iOS and Android apps available as well. Check out their learning pass too, a series of courses and content planned by instructors. Oh, oh yeah. And the best part on top of it all, instructor mentoring is available when you need it. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Learn more about Linux and the technology around it. Every little thing and some of the more advanced things too. And amazingly, freaking Azure. It's, it is 2016. Microsoft is all over the place at your Linux Academies and in your Noah's laptops. So thanks to the Linux Academy and go to LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged to support this show. And now we join Noah in the past where he's apparently gone insane. I've spent years looking for the perfect portable Linux laptop. Now, some of you remember my endeavor with the Sony Vio little portable, um, almost palm top size computer. It was a great effort and it hit a lot of the key points I was looking for, something very portable that I could have with me all the time that ran a traditional Linux operating system, but it fell short just in due to its age and power. Just wasn't quite powerful enough to actually plug on through to handle a lot of the applications that I need. Now really, and I've said this before, it's what makes me so terrible at reviewing distros. All I really need is a web browser, a terminal, and an email client. And it did those three things kinda well, but little tiny side things like Mumble, for example, it just didn't work, or VLC, I couldn't even watch videos. They're not things I need on the computer, but they're definitely things I like. I've also tried things like this Dell Latitude 2100, which is a small little netbook size uh, uh, business-oriented computer that even had a, a, you know, a custom case made for taking with you everywhere. Again, fell a little bit short in the form of power and didn't quite make it. Well, I think I found the perfect portable Linux laptop and I'm embarrassed to say who it's manufactured by, but the truth is it's actually an amazing Linux computer and that is the Microsoft Surface Pro 1. Um, and basically, if you're not familiar with the Surface Pro 1, what it is, or Microsoft Surface in general, is it's a tablet-style computer. Now, some of you right off the bat are going to ask, hey, I don't understand why you're not using Android. Android's Linux, right? Well, I think that it's true that Android is Linux. It runs the Linux kernel, and it has a lot of the same values that we value in the Linux ecosystem in that we have a plethora of different hardware devices that it can run on, and there is a bunch of different uh, fragmentations of the central Android operating, uh, operating system itself, and so we can try different flavors of it and tweak it and modify it a little bit as we need here or there. Um, but I don't trust the platform. I don't trust it. I don't trust Google. 
Google. I don't trust the underlying code. I don't trust the underlying apps. It's all very cloud-based. It's all very cloud-centric, internet-centric. And because of that, the focus is not on personal data security. It's more on convenience, ease of use, those kinds of things. Those are not important to me. And so I just, I have a fundamental distrust of the Android platform. And so I can't put sensitive data on there. And that that exemplifies itself in a couple of different ways. I carry a lot of my important data on a USB thumb drive that's encrypted uh, with Lux, and I can't even decrypt that on Android. There's not even really an easy way to do that. And so it fundamentally limits what I'm able to do on the platform. So this is the, the traditional tablet style form factor, and I've owned a number of tablets and I've not been very happy with them. This thing is amazing. Now, you can purchase the optional keyboard, which was both of these things were actually given to me by one of my good friends in the mumble room. Um, and so it just a little magnet snaps together and it becomes laptop ish. Now it's floppy, so you can't hold it in the air and work. So it, this could never replace my actual laptop, but it does have this little kickstand that kicks out like this and then it can sit on the, uh, on the desk and, and hold itself up. Um, this keyboard is the best tablet keyboard I have ever used in my life. It is backlit, and the keys are uh, actually, they're actually scissor keys, and they are, they're incredible. Um, going on to the actual tablet itself, there is, of course, the port on the bottom for the fold-out keyboard. On the side, we've got a USB port and a headphone jack, a volume switch. At the top, we have the power jack, or the, I'm sorry, the power uh, button. On the side, we have the charging port, which I'll talk about here in a minute, uh, a mini display port, which does not seem to work under Linux, a micro SD card. Um, and so we go ahead and power this on. Uh, we're going to watch it boot on. Installing Linux was actually very simple. I plugged the USB drive in. I held the volume up button to boot off of USB. And in a couple of seconds, it booted right up into Linux, no problem. Now, when you first boot into Ubuntu, up in the corner here, you can use this... Uh, um, we have to get this uh, the wireless option to go away here, but up at the top here, there's this accessibilities uh, button and you can tap this and choose on-screen keyboard and actually log in. For the purpose of the demo, I'm going to flip the kickstand out and just set it onto this keyboard and log in because it's so much faster. But I have, I used it in tablet mode with just the touchscreen keyboard and about five minutes into it, I completely forgot that I was using uh, a tablet. It was it was that smooth. Um, and so here we have a 1080p display running Ubuntu stock 16.04, and of course the wireless sucks. It's not connecting because it you know wireless sucks in 16.04. But um, but all of my actual apps are here, and I, I have it hot link, so I have this uh, in the dock here. I have the keyboard map, so I can just pull out the, the keyboard, and uh, you know I could hit this here, and I could type Thunderbird. T-H-U-N, just like a tablet, really. Um, and then I'm able to open up Thunderbird and my email's going to load. Just tap on that and email loads. I've used this in tablet mode, uh, again, for like six, seven hours. Absolutely no problem, works flawlessly. And you pair that with the keyboard uh, and then it becomes basically just as good as a laptop. I mean, it really is. And I used it extensively throughout DEF CON. It was actually my burner laptop. It was the, the lap, I was using a dedicated computer with a dedicated OS and I blew that OS away, reinstalled it. Now it has become kind of my take everywhere computer. Now I've just gotten home from doing a large event tonight. Um, we were there for seven, eight hours tonight. And uh, part of the event was I needed to 
download a lot of uh, a, a lot of material off the internet and move it onto our production machine. We actually did that all with the Surface tonight, and it worked flawlessly. It worked very well for that. A small little 10-inch computer with a core i5 processor means I can take a powerful laptop with me everywhere, and it and it works very very well for those everyday computing tasks. I use I've used it uh, extensively all throughout last week for managing servers and managing our access point systems. And in fact, in one case, I actually went on site and I was doing subcontracting for another company and I actually let them uh, remote control the surface and then I used a console cable to access one of their routers and they did all of their configuration. It was great to have those two laptops with me on my ThinkPad that I could use for my stuff and I was able to just dedicate the surface um, for letting other people uh, use it. Now the battery life is actually pretty good. I've actually seen, I'm getting about four hours, five hours, which for the tablet operating system, again, is is, is very good um, because I'm not using it 100% of the time. I'm just, I'm powering it on, doing a couple little quick things. The day I got it, I was flying home and a flight attendant walks up to me and goes, sir, I'm going to need you to put your lap, oh, it's a tablet. Oh, you can have it on. Um, and right there, it clicked that tablets have and have ushered in this new era of acceptability in a lot of places that laptops are not um, and the, you know the difference in size between this 10 inch uh, surface and my 13 inch thinkpad are almost negligible but it was enough that the flight attendant um, wasn't going to make me put this away because her flight handbook says that tablets are okay laptops are not and I was able to use my my tablet from takeoff to touchdown that doesn't sound like a big deal unless you fly like I do a couple times a week and then that becomes a really big deal um, the Windows key, I am going to replace uh, this little thing with a uh, with a uh, an Ubuntu tuck sticker, but it w does work through the through the sticker. The keyboard itself is backlit, which uh, it might be a little hard to see, but I really like that. Again, best tablet keyboard I have ever used. I have done video editing on it. I have run our DJ software on it. I have done all of my work for the last week on it. Uh, I've um, you know, I have Telegram, I have, uh, I have Mumble installed, uh, VLC, everything that I would do on an ordinary laptop I'm able to do on the Surface Pro 1, and uh, they're available on eBay for just a couple hundred bucks. I understand that as the generations have gone on, certain things don't work. So far, the only th there are only two things i found that don't work. The mini display port, which I don't really care about, and in fact, it might not even be that the mini display port doesn't work. I it might just be that I can't get the cable plugged in all the way. And the second thing is it doesn't go to suspend. Now the suspend is kind of a big deal to me actually because it would be so nice to be able to press this power button and hit suspend and fold the thing up and take it with me. And right now I have to shut the whole thing down. What I'm finding though is that I am pulling it out, doing a little bit of work on it, shutting it back down and taking it with, it's really not that big of a deal. And uh, again, Ubuntu, <laughs> you know, I've used Unity for the last couple of years and never really cared about its ability to run touchscreen. And I have to say, at this point, I'm really enjoying the fact that that menu comes up when you touch the, the Ubuntu menu. And everything is really set up for a touchscreen. If I hit the power button, then it offers me to lock the screen, restart, or just power off. I just tap that, and the computer shuts down. Works very, very well. Overall, I would give this experience Ubuntu 16.04 on the Surface Pro 1 as a tablet only without the keyboard, I'd give it an 8.5 out of 10. With the keyboard, that easily jumps up to a 9 out of 10. And I'm only taking a little bit of a couple, a little bit of a point away because of the fact that suspend doesn't work, and I would really like that to work. Other than that, 
it is basically a 10 inch laptop and a very powerful 10 inch laptop to the point that I don't even notice the difference between this roughly $200 Surface Pro 1 and my brand new $1600 ThinkPad. And a lot of that is admittedly because I'm not pushing the ThinkPad to its limits, right? I am. I'm just using it, uh, you know, again, for the terminal, Thunderbird, and the web browser, and that's what I'm doing out here, and all of those work exceptionally well. Now, one thing I didn't like about the Surface Pro 1, as far as the hardware design, the power adapter has the same kind of MagSafe adapter that Apple is using, where it, it magnets on. It is almost impossible to get that thing to clip on in the first try. You have to jiggle it around to get it to actually connect, and... Uh, there was one time I had a big spark fly up because I think I shorted two of the contacts touching on this, this metal edge here. Full disclosure, I don't have the original Surface Pro power adapter. I have a secondary one that I've ordered off of Amazon or that was given to me that was ordered off of Amazon. So it's not the original one, but I did talk to the, the original owner of this and he said that it had the same problem with the original power supply. So. Uh, if you're looking for a small portable Linux laptop that uh, that you can use as it absolutely could use as a daily driver, 100% could use as a daily driver. I definitely recommend checking out the Surface Pro One. If you're looking for a computer, if you're one of those people that just wants to have a laptop on you 100% of the time, no matter where you are, and uh, folding this up and taking it in like a book, walking around with it, that <laughs> appeals to you. Uh, I don't think there is another choice. I, I really don't. I don't think there is a choice of a of a solid Linux tablet that you can use. I think Ubuntu Touch is probably getting there, um, but right now this is having used Ubuntu Touch on a Nexus. I think it was Nexus Nine tablet, and having used the uh, just stock 1604 on this, I can easily say this is a better choice, at least for me wow. and for my workflow. Um, so I definitely recommend you give it a shot. And, uh, and and again, even as a primary driver, even as a backup machine, I actually talked to my wife and was asking her if she thought she could uh, manage on one of these and we might replace her laptop with. And wow. I don't think she's willing to do it right now, but we'll follow up in the future. So that's our look at the Surface Pro 1 with Ubuntu 1604. Wow. Stay strong, Sarah. Stay strong. So uh, I got to say, I don't think you've ever been that enthusiastic about a laptop since you showed us your 10-year-old Dell uh, Latitude <laughs> clunker or whatever it was. Like, you really like this thing. Here, here's here's the thing is every other laptop is basically the same to me, right? They Like, even the ThinkPad. I have a $1,600 ThinkPad, and I have the Oryx. It's another very expensive computer. But they're all exactly the same, really. They do the same thing. You unfold them. You install the operating system. use them. They work. There's nothing You like folding this thing up as a book and carrying it around. That's what you right. like. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> It's so like I don't know if you can really I don't know if you can really glimpse this, but this thing is so small uh, that yeah. I, I can take it and just carry it around with me. I'm sitting at a table <laughs> at a restaurant, right? And I've got the on-screen keyboard out. I'm using Telegram and I'm in IRC. Let and me I'm ask you something though. Do you know does that keyboard does that have additional battery in the keyboard? I thought that is a thing that might be. I thought if it is, it's not this one. This one, there's no, there's not enough oh. weight. Oh, yeah, and, and that's a maybe some. There might be different ones. I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed in four hours of battery life on something like a Surface. I mean, I thought that thing would. Um, yeah, I mean, so one is you have to remember this. The Surface is, is older, uh, and two is that. Um, you know, it, it, it's a very small package, right? I mean, they've crammed an i5 processor in there. It's, it, it's everything that you have on a laptop, except they fit it in half the space. This thing is really not any thicker. Yeah. Uh, it's just a hair thicker than my than my uh, my Nexus 9. The design my, looks you know, kind of nice, 10. too. 
Yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's what I would like to know is I would like to hear from the audience what uh, what is their experience with the with the later editions of the Surface? Because I saw a story today or yeah. recently that uh, the Surface Three will be getting touch support with a with a impending Linux kernel update. I think like four eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like the Surface Three might not be fully there yet, but mm-hmm. perhaps the Surface Two is. I'd, I'd love to get feedback from the audience on that particular point. So Alex, my, 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 good, my good friend, for anyone that doesn't know, is my, my childhood best friend, he has a Surface 4 that got issued to him from work. And of course, the first thing he did was he said, I want to partition off some space, put Linux on it. So we tried to do that, and uh, we it's literally impossible. It's not even possible to oh. get Linux installed on the Surface Pro 4 as of a couple months ago when we right. tried. And right. I'll t- tell you, and I don't think I exemplified this enough in the, in the video, this power cord is the worst power cord I think I've ever used in my entire life. The idea is that it's a little magnet. It looks like the Pebble charger. It looks like what the Pebble uses. But the problem is it... It's like super wide, though, and there's like six or four... Can you see that sparking? Wow. Yeah. Jeez, that doesn't seem... That seems like you're going to damage the electronics after a while. You can't... Like, it doesn't... Like, I can't... It it doesn't go in. Like, it doesn't... You have to you have to you have to wiggle it around for you know and I, I there now I got it in. It takes probably a good two three minutes. Every, oh, now it shut off. That's probably not good. Yeah, I want to I want to also just apologize if I'm if I at all in this episode am interchanging Surface Pro and Surface Book. I know that's I'm making a mistake when yeah, I do that. They just all kind of convolute in my head. However, watching your review, it did make me think. God. How would the Surface Book work? Because I remember when they announced the Surface Book, I was like, damn, that thing looks like a nice laptop with a dedicated GPU. So, so here's here's my word of caution. I have the same concerns about this device as I have about every Apple laptop out there that people want to get running Linux. And that is, when I buy a computer from HP or Lenovo or Dell, <clears throat> they don't care what operating system I use. They just want me to buy the computer. If I can get Linux to use it and I'm willing to buy their product to use it on Linux, they could care less. In fact, they would yeah. ship them all with Linux if everyone wanted to buy it with Linux. Probably. That's not true with the Apple Mac. Or the surface, yeah. With the surface, because Microsoft has a vested interest in me running Windows on this thing. And part of the reason they made it to begin with was so that they could try to push more people onto the Windows infrastructure. And so the they're going to be, it's not just they're indifferent to it, they're actively opposed to me running another operating system on this. And so for that reason alone, I probably wouldn't invest my own money Is in one. Is that true in, in, in terms of the Surface Pro? Are they actively really invested or... I really don't think Microsoft is making a ton of money off of the, the hardware. I think they're mostly trying yeah. to get people on. <clears throat> Here's what my, my philosophy of, with this has been. If <clears> – and by the way, Chaotic in the chat room, uh, and I'll try to grab that, has a link for getting uh, – it working on more recent surfaces. Uh, and Rikai would point to – and probably a really good recommendation for general surface and Linux information. There is a subreddit, uh, reddit.com slash surface Linux. Uh, here's my take on that, Noah. If Microsoft is making changes that make the Surface more competitive with the iPad Pro and the next line of devices, and that is monkeying with drives and the way data or uh, you know storage works, or monkeying with the way it boots in a way that makes it a more competitive product, that mm. is fine in my book. That's not them being yeah. anti-Linux. If they right. are if they are making specific firmware changes or hardware choices to prevent loading other operating systems. Then Which they kind of did in the four. 
then it kind of feels like that Microsoft loves Linux stuff is is more BS than reality. But However, they, they, they disabled the USB boot thing if uh, on at least if I remember right, it's the USB boot thing for other operating systems yeah. on the on the Pro 4. But I wouldn't necessarily jump to the conclusion that's about Linux. That could be more about blocking Android, which Microsoft's probably more concerned about. Because imagine Wait. that. Like how, what a kind of insult is that? People go out and buy the Surface Pro and then they load like Cyanogen on it. They're going to hate that. So that might be more what that's about. Well, whatever it is, I don't like the fact that the company wants me to use a particular operating yeah. system. No, I that's a great them point. To just make a hardware device. Yeah, yeah. So, have you looked at what like uh, the Purism guys are, are working on? They have a tablet. No. They 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 have a crowdfunding thing for it going. Uh, and I wonder, yeah, we shall look it up because it's just curious to see how you think it compares. Um, and it's it's the same deal as last time. I think right now it's a it's it's on a, like a GoFundMe or crowdfunding thing. I'll go. I'll see if I can find it on there. Yeah, here it is. It's called the Librem 10. It's a 10.1 inch. Now, here's here's something that might not work for you. I don't know. You kind of made a big point that you don't really need it to do a lot, and you say that the ThinkPad is and the Oryx are essentially the same thing. If right. that for me, from what I'm doing, so I'm then okay. if that's true, if that's true, then you should be able to get by on a more Atom Intel Atom. Uh, you know. I thought the same thing. I'm glad you bring that up. Because that's what I this is. Same thing. And this is using GNOME. This is using a Core M. This is a slightly nicer Intel Atom. It's a fifth generation Intel Atom, which are kind of legit. It's got four cores um, at 1.84 gigahertz. So it's not like it's a slouch Atom. Uh, I so, know that sounds weird, but it's true. I mean, this is, this is, it's got the, it's got the, the, it's the prism take on a tablet that would essentially be exactly, it's got the keyboard too with light up keys. It's kind of what you're talking so about. Let's, let's talk about that Adam thing for a second. I bought, before I got my ThinkPad, I needed something to use because it turns out when you buy a computer from Lenovo, even though uh, they're a huge manufacturer, manufacture hundreds of thousands of computers, they don't actually have any of those here in this country. They have to ship over <laughs> to China like yeah. every single one. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> System 76 sells a fraction of the amount of computers and can get them faster to people. It's, it blows my mind. Anyway, so I, I order this computer, spend all this money, and it's going to be like three weeks before the computer gets here. So I need something to use for three weeks. So I go to Best Buy and I bought one of the uh, the higher end, is two or three hundred dollar Atom laptop computers. Right? It mm -hmm. sucked. It was terrible. I, I was running Ubuntu Mate, so it was supposedly lighter resources. And like you click on a window, and the window kind of does this to enlarge, and then actually enlarges. And I, I minimize Thunderbird, oh. and I wait a second, oh. and then kind of does that. Oh, I can't. No, it was it was it was beyond terrible. And I think but what was the, the price? What was the price you said? 300, 300 bucks. Yeah, 300 see, bucks. like these these Librem tens are starting at uh, five ninety nine, and to get yeah, one, have a touchscreen though. Yeah. I would imagine that adds a lot to the price. I uh, I want so. How do you square these two things? Are so you've essentially found a laptop that works super super well for you that doesn't have right. a future upgrade path for you. Yeah, well, so yeah, I mean that's the problem, right? My, I guess my hope is so. Uh, so I, there's a couple of you're couple just hoping people will get it working okay on the Surface Pro the, by the time the newer, Pro or four on the newer or ones. The yeah. other thing is, is I can drag a lot more life out of a computer than the average person can because I use so few things. If I can run Thunderbird and Firefox and VLC and a terminal app hey, for the next ten years, I'll stay on the Surface One. I don't care. I know. How, how, how many uh, how many laptops you got? A lot. A rack full at home. 
What did you mean, just say about on. about using one com- staying on one computer? What what you can you say that again? No, 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 no. <laughs> I can drag a lot of it, every one of those computers. I yeah. would say ninety percent of those computers are better or five years older or or older. And in fact, a couple of them are like IBM seven fifty five. No, I follow you. I follow seven one C laptops. They're, they're fifteen years you old, have, and they'll, they'll have different use cases and work cases and whatnot. I don't know if any of them have a use cases. No, I mean fun, the but, Surface versus the Oryx. Like those are two. Like yeah, you grab yeah. one for one workload, one for the other workload. Right, right, yeah. And so an i five for tablet style computing, where I just want to mm-hmm. check my email or answer Telegram. Yeah. I think I'll get another five six years easily. Yeah. Out of this. And hopefully by that time something else will come along. But I have never been a tablet person. I've owned a bunch of tablets i've tried to use tablets and it never works for me this is the first time i've ever owned a tablet where i can say i'm 100 percent happy with the experience yeah the, the, i don't mind I, and i've always i've said this numerous times before on the show too i've always believed that desktop operating systems make crappy tablet operating systems and great tablet operating systems make crappy desktop operating systems and this is the first time that i've been able to use a desktop operating system with unity and feel like i'm not losing something i doesn't feel like i'm using a desktop with a touchscreen i feel like i'm using a tablet yeah that's interesting the 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 nice keyboard i think plays a huge part of that i think that gets my interest and a couple other things so if you look at it in the lens of something that is predominantly a tablet that lets you do more than a tablet does, that Mm -hmm. is where the Surface, that your particular device and your use case makes me less sick and actually kind of makes sense to me. And in fact, it makes me kind of feel like it might be the perfect device when Unity 8 ships and I want to try out like the new, you know, interface and all that kind of stuff. I edited this week's episode on my Surface. Think about that for a second. I took the device that I'm using as my tablet. The segment, that yeah. I, yeah, and edited a video segment in a full-blown Linux video editor and then rendered that out and sunk it up over Dropbox. And I, that's the kind of thing where it's like, where, when am I going to do that? Especially on this crappy trackpad. Yeah, like that's like almost never going to happen. But the one out of every 10 times or one out of 50 times that I'm like, I really just need to bang this out right here, right now. Oh, look, I have this in my back pocket, right? I'm carrying it with me because I, I literally have had did it with you, me. Did you, did you use Lightworks on the Surface? I use Lightworks on the Surface. Oh, my goodness. I edited a video. With your whole sc- then, did you have to do scale down or anything like that? Or did it? Oh, it's 1080p. It's a yeah. 1080p display. That's great, man. That is that's that's a pretty solid endorsement right there. Wow, they really put some serious horsepower in that thing, and it makes you wonder what the the newer ones what they're capable of. Uh, I'm going to be interested to follow your in your kind of experience with that. I'm also from a distance watching the Librem 10. I opted not to back it for this one, but that kind of concept is interesting. I've always been wondering too if maybe one day System 76 might not ship something. Sort of like what you're dealing with too, and so I'm always kind of keeping an ear out for rumors about that. If any any birdies ever wanted to give me any hints, I'd be curious because I I can kind of see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because my main machine is has been not nearly as powerful as it has been traditionally. Though mm-hmm. pr- my primary computing is happening um, on a laptop that is not super super crazy fast, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been just fine. Like it hasn't been. It hasn't really. Hasn't. Ha- I even. I have. I myself edited video on that laptop. The mm-hmm. a segment we played recently. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it is almost like the processors have gotten so damn fast that now if you just get them in the right configuration, it might last you a few years. You might be right about that, especially if you're using the tablet use case. Well, all right. Mm-hmm. You know what, Noah? I'm going to say I honestly did not think you would have convinced me by the segment. I didn't, <laughs> but I think you did. I. I, I can't believe it. I. I can't believe it, but it's actually kind of legit. I kind of want to see it in person. I also wouldn't mind seeing GNOME 3 on there, too. Just got to see what that is. So does this mean we're not going to have, we're not going to title the segment Noah Loves Microsoft? I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. 
All right, that is unbelievably the Linux Action Show's look at Linux on the Surface Pro Uno. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. Before we go, we do want to read some emails and do some follow-up. But before those emails, we've got to thank System76 for making this segment possible. System76.com, that's where you go. If you don't want to take a risk with the system, if you want to make sure it's going to run great with Linux and there's a long upgrade potential, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, Noah, a future! System76.com, they've been around for over 10 years. I was one of their first customers, and I'm still buying rigs from them. Check them out. They've got laptops, desktops, and servers built for your Linux needs. They also have their Pop Quiz laptop giveaway still going. You can check that out. they got a link right there on their main page. Just go to system76.com. Go check out their desktops built right here in the U.S. of A. These things are killer. Like their Rattel Pro. This is the one that Michael Dominic just got on Coda Radio. Surprisingly small, but still fits a main graphics card in there. And then there's the Silverback. Woo! If you want a real performer, I mean, the Wild Dog Pro has been in use for years. And I can say that thing runs like a champ. So they got great laptops, great desktops, including all-in-ones. Just go to system76.com and let them know the Linux Action Show sent you. In fact, tell them Noah switched you to Linux. System76.com. Go check them out. Laptops, desktops, and servers born to run Linux. First one this week. I'll take it. Comes in from KM. He says, hey, uh, you've probably heard about the uh, CrowdSupply-linked uh, micro-desktop. This is uh, pretty cool. He's going to send it our way because it is an idea he's pretty passionate about. It has a CPU, GPU memory. It's part of the computer, kind of like a phone, and you only have to upgrade that part. It's modular. You can keep your favorite laptop until the skis fall out, and you can just keep upgrading your phone. And uh, we talked about it, I think, on Linux Unplugged, but what it essentially is, it's sort of like a different take on convergence. So not modular computing in the sense of, like, you build a different computer, but modular computing in the sense of the thing that's driving the computing experience is mm-hmm. modular. Here, I'll, I'll play a little bit of the, uh, the video for you, because it's kind of cool. This is your next computer. And he pulls it out of the wallet. It looks like the size of a tiny SSD drive. And you can use it in many devices. And he, so for an example, they use a 3D printed laptop housing. So this is sort of like a computer that you slot into a laptop housing. Or they say like a micro desktop housing, which is built out of like wood in this case or something like that. Again, it's about the size of like an old PCI-MCA card, right? That's about how big I'd say it is. And it could go in a tablet. So it could go on a phone, it could go in the back of a phone, it could go in a laptop housing. That's kind of a kind of a neat concept. He seemed mm-hmm. kind of passionate about it. So that's no, that's well, their take on modular computing and convergence, because you take it out of the device and you slide it in another device, and now that device is the whole desktop experience. So I buy in 100% to like my docking station. I set my ThinkPad down. Now all of a sudden my monitors take over and I can use my mouse and my keyboard and stuff like that. And I also like the idea of you know the whole own cloud syncing where all my files go from one computer to the other. So, you know, with a little bit of tweaking, I could really see myself buying one of these little computers and moving it from one machine to the other. Although I were implementing it, I'd probably just do like the storage device and have a separate processor and RAM and all that stuff on all of the different... Oh man, it'd be a great way to do modular servers too, like server Mm -hmm. just... Yeah. That'd be really cool. Do a rack of them. How about a Beowulf cluster? So Duke Cake writes in, and he wants to talk about. He wants to ask you actually about Mindtest. All right. You have often mentioned hosting Minecraft servers on DigitalOcean for your son and his friends, but I wanted to know if you ever looked into Mindtest, an open source competitor to 
Minecraft. It's written in C++, and the modding is done via Lua script. Mm -hmm. It runs natively on Linux. Dare I say, it runs best yeah. on Linux. Ah. What do you think, Chris? Well, Noah, I'll tell you, I do know about it, and uh, I am always super fascinated about it. We've talked about it. It's just been a really long time um, because people that know about it already know about it, and the people that want to play Minecraft are playing Minecraft. But mm -hmm. I really like that the uh, Lua scripting support. I, didn't, I don't think I really realized that. Um, the first time I heard about it, I was like, oh, this is bullshit. We just open source has to copy everything. And I got all negative about it because I was like, I was an early Minecraft backer. I was an early beta member. And I was like, oh, I got Minecraft pride, blah, 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 which was stupid because really, in reality, it's, it's a great, great way for kids to express creativity and learn and build and problem solve in a setting that's accessible almost anywhere where you can run Linux. And... Now that Microsoft has bought Minecraft and the fact that it requires Java, these things suck. And the fact that MindTest doesn't require that stuff is great. And so it allows you to check a lot of those boxes that Minecraft checks for free in all senses of the word. What it doesn't accomplish that Minecraft does accomplish is just that huge community and ecosystem. You know, a huge part of the Minecraft gameplay for my kids is watching what other people do on YouTube and playing with other people that are also playing Minecraft and getting right. ideas for mods and then and downloading those mods and seeing, seeing those mods on YouTube and, and just that whole ecosystem around Minecraft is a huge part of the reason why they play Minecraft. And that MindTest doesn't have. But, you know, uh, you take the long-term vision, Microsoft may one day get bored with Minecraft and MindTest may be around chugging right along. So, yeah, long-term, who knows? Yeah, you guys can find it at mindtest.net. If you've been Minecraft curious but don't really care to be associated with the whatever technology stack or whatever, whatever it is, like you can just try out Mindtest probably in your probably in your repo. Florian writes in, hey, I love the big show. Here's an app pick for you. Museeks.io. It's a cross-platform music player. So it's probably like Musics. Musics. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a chance to try it out, but I just came across and thought you may want to take a look at it because you love local media so much. Greetings from Germany. I think that was targeted at you. Not that I don't. I so. I, uh, I'm going to check it out. So it's called uh, Musiks. Uh, Musiks. Musiks.io. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does look pretty nice. Jeez, and it's available for those other desktop operating systems that I think some people use too. Hmm. Very cool. Thanks for sending that in, guys. Really do appreciate it. You guys can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown, and we'll uh, feature some of those in the next show. Or feedback is also welcome at linuxactionshow.reddit.com or in the YouTube comments. You can also email us directly, linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com. So we, last week we asked you, would you be okay with every now and then if Noah, wanted to, Noah and I wanted to go camp in the middle of uh, BFE, would you, be, would you be all right with us doing a live audio-only show with, in, with the intention, if all goes as planned, of releasing the recorded version as video and, uh, and, and audio? And, yeah, you know what? As we probably suspected, it came in pretty clearly. 63% of people said yes. 15% uh, of people said no. 22% uh, voted what did Noah break, which I count as yeses. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, only 233, so apparently uh, asking people to go to the show notes and click a button, uh, too much. It's too much. <laughs> they couldn't. Maybe, no, maybe, you know what it probably is. It probably means that only 233 people cared, and the other yeah. people couldn't care less one way or the which other. Which, if you think about it, is... Probably right if you're talking about a live event. Because, you know, we figure mm -hmm. we could get three, four, five hundred people every now and then watching live. Mm -hmm. 
uh, yeah, most people voted either during the show or yeah, that actually does kind of that does kind of work out. That's cool because other people, everybody else who downloads it after the fact, is like doesn't bother me. It doesn't 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 affect me. Yep. Fair, well assessed. All right, you win this time, audience. But I'm watching you over at LinuxActionShowReddit.com. As a matter of fact, if you want to send in feedback to the show or go do a pick or a news story or an open source project, you can also hit up Noah on the Twitters. He's at Colonel Linux. I'm at Chris L A S. And uh, we also have the network account, at Jupiter Signal. The difference there being my account is personal stuff and whatever I feel like tweeting or teasing about. Um, sometimes it's show-related. And the network account is more like, hey, they're going to record a double episode of a show this weekend. Would you like to show up live? This episode just got released. That kind of stuff's at Jupiter Signal. Live, live show times, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And you watch it live at jblive.tv. Okay, no, I think that's everything for this week, yeah? That's it. 4.30 in the bag. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you right back here next week. Okay, dude. Let's do a thing called a podcast. Let's do the news. Let's do the news. It's brought to you by... Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought hold to you Hold on, by... Noah. Hold on. I wasn't ready. Oh, so okay, I, was, right, I was almost right. ready. I was all almost right. Ready. Okay. Hey, Noah. Hold on. Uh, Hangouts just decided to show a bunch of crap. What do you what no I'm going to give you one peek what's this You ready I, You need another peek I'm looking at you on a 13 inch monitor 10 feet away from me Yeah I can't say I have no idea It's a thing it's a phone Nope it's a phone No it's not a phone You have to wait till next episode to find out Oh yeah I know it's rough I'm sorry Super bad uh, All right would you quit screwing around so we can do a show please um, so, uh, so this is, uh, this is, uh, jeez, okay, this is, uh, 4.30, and I don't know how the hell to pitch your, your review. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, let's see if you can, it, it, it wouldn't take much to do, uh, a little bit better than what you got in the, uh, <laughs> in, in the doc. Yeah. So, I'm not, not gonna take a ton of effort there, Chris. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs>